All right, so hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Empathic Futures Lab podcast. This is the show about human-focused futures for the environments in which we live. And today we wanted to get into a little bit of, rather than introducing a whole new topic, talking more about, or trying to wrap up at least, the last three topics we've had, the last three topics following our, our long break, um, in mid early March, but anyway, so we had uh, James and Olivia on a few weeks back to talk about justice and how they pursued research into the social justice system and and how to bring people out of the cycle of sort of this this uh, I don't know what do you what do you call it it's sort of the cycle of imprisonment uh, through using incarceration, social incarceration yeah. uh, through using social. Uh, standards and trying to figure out how to embed them within the community well then our next our next topic was on business of architecture and trying to figure out what the future business models of architecture were and then last episode was on design fictions and sort of talking about the value of speculating or projecting into the future and and how that will inform how we think about design in an important way beyond just sort of having fun Uh, right one thing I wanted to add to that, I, listening to Sean Lally's podcast, I think from last week, uh, he gets into the he gets into the idea of fiction a little bit, um, and the idea that you use it to pull to pull society forward, or you use it to set up this vision that society can work with uh, to establish uh, the direction that they may that you may want to take for technology or design or you know, future environments or whatever. Right. And Philip Stearns in this article that I think we sent out or will send out with the, uh, uh, the mailer this week makes, has a great quote here. All technologies evolve within society just as much as society evolves within technological environments and not with them. Rather than a collection of tools, technologies make up an environment implicated in the socio-political context from which they emerge and which they shape. Understanding the contextual surroundings and conditions from which a technology emerges is critical to understanding how it shapes us and how we might productively intervene in that shaping. And then, you know, to the point, I think you can almost replace technology in that with like the idea of a future, futures, hmm. and, and how you um, how you project or pull society into the future. Yeah, you know, it yeah. has great impact on on what we will actually do. Right, kind of a dialogue between. Uh what what's going on now what you project and then kind of inform each other yeah anyway yeah, so that, that was just adding to the fiction point right so building on that what we we, we want to discuss in this this podcast episode then is maybe something that's a little overdue with with the direction of this show and just sort of put context to something that we refer to all the time which is this idea of human human focused futures and like the experiences that that creates right so what exactly are we talking about when we discuss that uh, why is human focus or why are these like human experiences so important and, and what are the, what are they what do they mean I think it, um, part of this is it's just a really hard question that I think we'll come back to over time and just see where we're where we're developing and see where this is going but part of it's just because it's such a really vague question that it might be good for us to provide our own context to it and really understand that uh just in terms of how do we think about things how do we what what do we mean in the dialogues that we're creating when we're trying to improve experience or 
or produce an experience. I think it's it's valuable because it's something that we throw around a lot, but have never really given our own definition to it, I suppose. Right. And part of that's like, do we really need to define it? Everyone sort of knows what experience is, but everyone it's sort of like done in that everyone knows what experience is but will not be able to define it sort of way just like you wouldn't be able to define other everyday kind of terms right and i think i know i approach it with a certain group of influencers on who i think has done a reasonable job of defining or giving form to uh, that definition of experience, um, and you you have your own as well, and that sort of brackets uh, our conversation about it. I think. Yeah, um, maybe somewhere to start. I, I doing some background into this episode. I didn't really know where to go with this because it's so broad. But one thing I did do is look on Wikipedia. I just looked up what experience is, and there really wasn't a whole lot there. Um, I mean, there was a lot there, but it was sort of this different experience than what I was going for. It was, it was sort of this idea of experience as having had experience over time or having been in these situations repeatedly, right? And learning from these experiences or being in these situations to gain experience, right? It's like you're looking at a basketball player who's been in the league a long time. They're an experienced veteran because they've seen all these situations versus like, when we talk about it, it's more, I think, along the lines of this sort of sensual experience of like engaging uh, culturally, socially with the space, but also engaging with your senses like vision and hearing and sight or vision and hearing and sound and touch. Well, and... I, I don't think that that definition is necessarily exclusive from the way we think about it. Um, and the reason I want to say that is, is because when you talk about these different sensorial influences or stimuli and how and how you interact with that as as an individual within space you have to make an association of what that is to something that you've experienced before or some sort of abstract concept so i think in that sense the experience is this it's tied to those associations or those memories of of how you interacted with these these different things before in the past. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess I can see that. And I guess the point of creating an experience for someone is to create a memory for them, a certain or some sort of like one-off thing that would be hard for them to do or it kind of feels this like authentic thing. Um is that I don't know if that's fair to to say, but it, I think it's just funny how these these definitions have sort of split off to like when you think about experience as like an experienced old man or experienced person in this field versus like experience of like a one-off thing at a retail store or the experience of being at an amusement park like i see where you're coming from that they're kind of the same thing but well that's i mean that's just tied to time right what do you mean well so the one is about experience over time so you you say like this elderly person's more experienced in these number, these different types of scenarios, but that's because they've had exposure to those sti- to those stimuli in a similar way. Like those, those stimulus have been uh, aggregated in a similar way a number of different times over over a period of time. Yeah, uh, you're you're um, more experienced because you've had more experiences. Yeah, and 
the additionally, like it's also important to note, I think that um, when you're in a space, you're not you're not a 3D rendering. You you're experiencing that that space over time as well. Mm-hmm. So you're exposed to those different things, not at, just at one instance, but over the over a period. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean one of the things I did want to get into with this and I don't know if we're too early on the talk uh to get into this point. No. Definitely not. But was the so when we talk about experience like there's a lot of really great design that like let's take the Bruder Klaus Chapel for instance uh by uh some Thor the really famous one where he constructs the um the formwork with the uh, like this went uh, wood uh, tent structure kind of pole thing. Yep. Um, and then it does a formwork around the outside and pours concrete and it's cast in place and then burns out the wood on yep. the inside. And so right. uh, the experience of that place, at least for a while, included the, the sensation, the smell of burnt wood. Um, and then additionally, like it, as as with pretty much any architecture, any built object, it the the way the sun moves well not really we move around the sun but the sun moves in the sky and, and that we perceive the sun as moving yeah that influences the way that the space is experienced via light uh-huh. um, and maybe there's like wind patterns or something but that's that's a static object and I think one of the things that we've been really keen on trying to discuss is this idea of architecture as a feedback system that's not only based on those stimuli, but also based on the human occupation and interaction stimuli, as well as, you know, whatever other stimuli there might be beyond just the regular sensorial things, whether it's cultural or historical or whatever. Right. And maybe you can call that cybernetics. I don't know if it's an automated system. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. So I think I think it's really important to say that that's also a, a big part, at least for me, of, of where we come from with this idea and and how that this might actually be how that becomes feasible you know there's examples that we have now but I think if you start talking about it as this automated system with uh, with this feedback loop then it really starts looking like something that you could sell mm-hmm. as like and it has this network effect possibly in terms of in terms of how you could actually make a business out of that so I mean, what I went to this landscape lecture talk um, on when Monday, and the the landscape architect was talking. He he's the head curator for the Portland Japanese Gardens, and one of the important things that was a comment was that he's always having to maintain the space. He's always having to bring it back to its original state or whatever design state that it has changed to at that time. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting from this perspective is the notion of constant maintenance because most buildings we don't really think about architectural experience that way. Uh huh. No. Yeah. This constant evolution. Right. No, that's it's it's something like I've been trying to put this together in my head, and that's part of the reason I've been so quiet recently. And I think maybe it sort of finally clicked. But I want to go back to this thing that you brought up about the Bruder Klaus Chapel and, and that smell in the space and how how like at, at least initially you could smell it and to I me that you can now yeah right and to me that's so fascinating because 
yeah, maybe you doubt. You say you doubt you can. No, I, I doubt it too. Like, how long does that stick around for? It's that like new car smell experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about like maintaining the gardens, I think something's kind of clicked. Is like what we're we're talking about experiences, like these sort of things that build up over time and kind of inform each other. But I keep going back to this idea of like you're coming through and you're having this one-off thing in retail, and I think it's so interesting that like the value of going to the Bruder Klaus Chapel, for instance, when the smell is still there might be way higher than the value of going to the Bruder Klaus Chapel when the smell is no longer there. Because if you went early on, you'd get that authentic experience of being able to smell this thing when it's fresh. Yeah, it's like like the notion of its construction. Right, versus now it's... It's still this wonderful, beautiful piece of architecture. Uh, and it still looks good in pictures, right? But I think you, you kind of miss out on a part of it. Um, versus like the gardens, you know, you're kind of maintaining them and they might be different over time, but you're sort of maintaining them to a certain quality or a certain standard over time. Right. Where it doesn't really matter. Um, but I think that's really interesting in terms of like the life cycle of life cycle of an experience. Like when we're talking about it, it's like what what are what are we trying to produce? Um, what does an experience um, mean to you? And it's like I think if you think about it from the two different perspectives of like building up experiences over time, maybe this idea of like maintaining and and this feedback loop makes a lot of sense. And that that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to build this up and really understand things over a time frame versus like if you're just going on vacation and you want to have this experience something that's memorable to you like it only has to be cool and authentic to you once and maybe if you go back over and over again sometimes maybe it's just less interesting because it's the same thing over and over again right so or it's maybe slightly different the next time but then it's just not the same as you remember it i think that's important though is that let like you said. Let's say I go to L.A. or something, and I plan to experience Griffith Park Observatory once, and that's this sort of landmark that can be more more or less the same for all the tourists. Like it doesn't have to change for the tourists, mm-hmm. but for the local, does it take on a different form every time that you experience it? And is there a way in which you can embed? I don't know if it's like digital interfaces or something or whatever uh, into into the structure so so that that happens so that the experience it's not necessarily fully new but you something else is highlighted a stimuli is given hierarchy so that you are able to experience it in a slightly new way mm-hmm. Each time. Mm-hmm. so um, like what is, how do you it's like you're talking about multiple layers of experience in terms of like now when we're defining experience we're saying on one hand you want the experience to be something that's great for someone who's seeing it once the one time they're out in LA and you also need to think about it on a secondary layer or maybe the primary layer of the person who's there all the time in that city and they're seeing this all the time yeah yeah well it's like that the neighborhood bar thing it's like that people keep coming back to it every single day or every single week, and it's always the same. But why do they keep doing it? This is the people because there. Because something whatever. doesn't change. Yeah. Something about its character is is constant. Mm-hmm. But what are those things that are allowed to mm-hmm. to be changed to augment or make that experience more exciting, better for 
the individual, I guess, as an yeah. aesthetic. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay. So one thing I wanted to get into in this discussion that I, I don't know if it, it's, it's fairly common knowledge. It's not like, you know, any groundbreaking stuff, but we're looking, I think, you know, there's research that's like, that says that as you have experiences or you are places um, you have you remember it longer if you engage multiple pieces of your um, multiple of your senses as opposed to just one sense so if you're just looking at something it doesn't stick in your memory as well as if you're like looking at it and hearing it and smelling it right or if you're touching it and hearing it and smelling it or whatever you're engaging at, at multiple levels right I wanted to get into this because when we when we especially as we're trained as architects we're trained in this sort of in two ways it's like the touch of something but maybe more importantly the look of something and we're, we don't generally talk about how something sounds maybe there's some acoustic stuff in like theaters right but we don't generally talk about how something sounds and only when we need to we never talk about how something tastes that's kind of weird uh smelling too i guess we don't really talk about smell even though you brought up that that Zumthor project with the smell and that's so fascinating but well i mean smell is definitely one of the most one of the strongest ways that we perceive environments yeah it's just kind of unfortunate that our designs don't really cater to that really at all often and if they do it's usually poorly (laughs) yeah i mean there's a lot of bad smelling exhaust out of you know out of bathrooms but that's about it (laughs) right there's a lot of bad smelling chemicals that can go into any space like paint or whatever yeah so what about that i i guess i want to talk about it because it's like we're what are we if we're talking about architecture especially as we've been talking about it in terms of pushing forward and, and trying to figure out where exactly this profession is going in the future. It's like the more we open up possibilities and the more we understand things in a feedback loop or do research on things, the more technology comes forward. It's like we, we need to start. It's like, how do we start in bringing in these ideas of like multiple senses all the time? I think we've touched on this multiple times already with some of the smart home stuff, but it, it just comes, it just keeps coming back. It's like a, well, a research thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an easy example to bring up, which will link. There's this interesting lecture. He basically reads the whole time. Is uh, <laughs> uh, Yanni Plasma, and you know his book, The Eyes of the Skin. First half focuses on why why we're so focused on um, visual. Mm-hmm. culture and architecture mm-hmm. and and how that's sort of come about and is it related to digital tools or not um and the second part focuses a lot more on how you know can we start engaging the other senses to actually make experience more meaningful because mm-hmm. um, you know you see you see this great architectural project online and then you experience it and you're like okay well that was nice i guess yeah we take a Um, picture move on yeah and so it's great when things look nice you know sure whatever but it's even better if they're connecting with you on on a deeper level yeah Um, and i think i think it's important to note that 
people will connect with something not only based on the senses, but there's also contexts, you know, social, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, historical, economical, that are important to connect people with as well, which I think architecture can also uh, yeah. tap into. Yeah. Um, I feel like we talk about this on a weekly basis, and I'm like, a part of me feels bad for bringing it up over and over again, but it's just something that, like, is always on my mind because it's just something that I don't think we as a discipline have solved. And it's just something that I feel like we need to solve. Yeah, it's a tough cookie to crack. And I think a lot of it can come down to the ways in which we allow the digital environment to become partly physical and and how, and how that happens. And, And when that happens, how, how do you engage with those things? And mm-hmm. So like you can, you can engage with a digital social environment. You can engage with a digital historical environment. It's, it's a little bit more difficult to engage with a physical historical environment. But if you make that digital environment more physical, then I think that's where the opportunities start becoming pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, the skeptics probably think that it's too much, it's too much, uh, emphasis on or too much reliance on digital to make this bring this forward but I, I see where you're going with it and I definitely agree that there's a lot of opportunity in the digital side to make use of all the senses um, so so bringing that around to our talk about work and or business of architecture yeah um, I, I, I think you know, I think WeWork is starting to do that. It seems pretty well. I think we can connect that back to your your idea of cybernetics in experience and, and trying to yeah. sort of get this feedback loop going of what exactly goes on when people experience a space, right? And they're starting to do that with offices or they have yeah. been doing that with offices, I guess. Um, but they got this like full life, full life cycle model of what an experience should be. Um, Oh, so this is something that uh, that's in my notes that I brought up is, um, and it's tied to WeWork is like, so we're talking about this idea of experience and, and, and bring it up with WeWork because they started with offices and they're moving into living and they're moving into schools and they're moving into fitness. Everything. Every, uh, yeah, everything all the <laughs> time. Right. And they got we, this, fe- we, everything. we, everything, and they, they got this feedback loop going that's, that's bringing everything together and hopefully making experiences better and better and better over time. Um, but I don't know. I have this idea that experience is this like all encompassing thing that, that, you know, there's really no bounds to it. It just kind of is this thing that exists and everything that goes around you is your experience. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess my question is, to you, is that how it is? Or is experience kind of tied to something, right? Like, is WeWork's office experience different from their residential experience, different from their well, fitness experience? Or is it just kind of this thing that it's the WeWork experience and, and, and so, everything's everything? So I'm going to be kind of really cheesy here, I think. Uh, so you know uh, Inception, right? Yeah. Movie? Yeah. So... The idea that you have these cues that that ground you, that that ground your thinking, right? And so in in the movie, he has this. Is it a top? Maybe. Yeah. I think yeah. That 
that cues him that he's a, he's experiencing something a certain way. I can't remember exactly. I think if the top falls over, he's he's awake, right? Right, but but that's a cue for how he should be experiencing something. Um, so I think that there's while like it, it does exist on this continuum, there's definitely places where you have more memories created and where your experience is probably going to be more meaningful uh-huh. and there's barriers to that like literally it could be a wall that divides divides one space from another that that one space which is that you're now in is much more significant than the hallway that you're walking through yeah yeah that perspective um, change yeah well and, so and part think, of... go ahead i think you're your comment is really um, is really significant because I think that there definitely is it, it exists on a continuum, but it, it I, I would say like has these ups and downs, it's sort of like a heart rate monitor or something where where like certain areas are much more significant in your cognitive mm-hmm. map, yeah. just like a BIM map, right? That WeWork uses. Like certain areas are going to be hot spots, and other areas are kind of dry spots that don't require much attention. Yeah. Well, the reason I brought this up was because of um, what you brought up last week with, like, fiction all depending on your perspective. And it changes based on your perspective. And it's like, well, if you're a WeWork and what's a successful WeWork experience, is the WeWork, a successful WeWork experience, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, um, that it's great, or that is it a successful WeWork experience if, um, like, only the office and the fitness is great, but the residential is not so great, you know, because it's like overall good, but one of them fails, or you kind of kind of differentiate between this. And I don't know, maybe it's a moot point um, to the extent that, yeah. So if you're, you're, so if you're like, I am this WeWork developer, and I'm approaching, I have all these different components, and which one's actually the most important to be to be good? Like, how do I set up the value hierarchy, right? Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, maybe it's a moot point because, like, who, of course, to a certain extent, you want all the experiences to be good. And, and you should be able to differentiate them and say, we need to improve the residential experiences here or the office experience there. But your WeWork, you're kind of selling the whole package, right? And it all comes together as one big thing. I don't know. It's just it. it, it I think I mean, that's you just what have makes a couple nice promo images, and you're good to go, right? Yeah, I think that's what you makes us walk people through the space. Uh huh. Uh huh. And yeah, and then they see how great or not great it is for them, and, and on all different levels. But I think that's what makes us so weird of a topic to talk about. Um, and part of the reason I brought it up was because it's just like where I don't know. There's not really any boundaries to it. It's just sort of like this idea that experience is experience and there's so many different things going on and I don't know it's just so hard to tie down yeah so I mean if you're WeWork you have like a BIM model of all your all your buildings and maybe it's actively populated by sensors or whatever that that are giving you that feedback in that in that digital mimic of of the space right yeah but but I mean, you may, so you may be able to get like metrics of how, how much time people are spending in spaces 
And so you can kind of compare one space you have in one city versus another space in another city. Maybe you can isolate for some sort of variable mm-hmm. that maybe maybe starts hinting at experience. Um, you like, also what does that it. even mean? <laughs> how, do you, how do you hint at experience? What does that even mean? Well, that's, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, if you're WeWork, you can, what metrics do you have that you can use? It's like time spent. Um, and then you can do like, I don't know, surveys, which people just lie on. So I don't like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, like, I think, I think one of the easiest ones would be time spent. Um, if they're like in their living area, maybe they're having a nice living experience, but if they're spending more time in their living area in New York city and in Denver, they're spending less time in their living area. Where are they spending that less time? Are they socializing? Does that make for a better experience? Right. Right. Well, it's such a weird problem also because like, how do you quantify that? Right. If you're going to use any sort of metrics, like we work is trying to do to quantify experience, how do you say what is good is higher? Good is lower. Good is more good is like, what, what is good? Right. What is it? How do you I think you just have to like, kind of go with something and say, you know what, we are doing this and more is good but then there are some people who come along and more is not good what do you just kind of ignore those people and say you know what maybe you're just not a fit for our community more is good and less is bad and if you want less then too bad i mean i think that's where this idea of cybernetics comes in and it has to be based on the user's perspective and it has to it has like these experiences it needs to be individualized to the the user and adapted over time so that they they have the capacity to define what is good and maybe there's like some basic rules that you can work into the system these these principles i guess uh-huh. um, which involve some degree of challenge but even those are sort of based on assumptions made about people Unless you can really yeah. definitively prove that one is better than the other. Maybe you would take health as a as a end-all, be-all, because healthy is healthy, more or less, no matter what, right? Sure. I don't, I don't know if that's... And then you can kind of just say more is good and, and because you make, it you, makes you healthier. But I think that's what makes it so tough and maybe what makes it so hard on companies to kind of adopt this experience-first language experience first um, attitude at least in architecture just because like what 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 does that mean I I suppose we're even kind of falling trapped to that in in the the um, in the industries that have adopted experience design as their sort of job title right user experience design is for whatever reason co-opted by the digital designer realm to decide to define what they do even though user experience design is not necessarily mutually exclusive to the digital realm, but they just kind of called dibs on it in the nineties. Apparently I looked it up (laughs) some guy wrote a book in 1995 about any kind of coined the term user experience design. And ever since then it stuck as these digital designers. That's ironic because the eyes of the skin was published in 96. The eyes of the skin. What is that? 
Satyani Plasma's book about the experience of space, oh. basically. Oh. <laughs> well, some some guy at Apple started user experience design, apparently, or at least coined maybe coined the term. That's what I was able to find on Google. Huh. But it's funny. Yeah, so it's kind of co-opted it, but I think it's funny because the reason I bring this up is because we were just talking about how do you measure these things, right? And it's like, what is good? What is bad? Is more good? Is more bad? What what's the kind of deciding line? And Facebook, right, is sort of everyone's favorite punching bag right now. And whether they're being scapegoated or not is open to question, I suppose. Um, I, they were I, providing the experience people wanted. They're right. It's the experience people asked for. Right, but um, right, they're they're kind of finding right. Their their stance was that more user engagement is good. But now we're kind of finding out that more user in- engagement is not necessarily good. So it's kind of wanted to poke some fun at the user experience folk for uh, taking that term and not necessarily understanding what good user experience is. Well, it's more time spent is, right. is, was the metric. Like That's the more what, time you spend, the better it is it's for a better experience. you and us. The problem was, I think, is that you were more likely to spend time doing insidious stuff than actually communicating with people. Right. I mean, it's the assumption that more time spent is inherently good versus is more time spent actually kind of bad for people, but good for your company and yada, yada. Yeah. Um, So maybe that's where we're too moral and we're trying to think about these things too much. And we should just say user experience or user engagement is inherently good and we're just going to do it. We're just going to go for it. That's our metric. I don't know. So, I mean, that's what we have to define for ourselves. Like, there's no point in talking about experience if we don't have a... Like, we we can define what we consider to be part of user experience, which is basically everything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, but... But how do you tell how well you're accomplishing that? And we, I mean, we talked about this this idea for an installation that would engage a couple different materials, whether it's related to light and sound and smell and sort of the movement of air. Yeah. Um, and would that create? What experience was that? Would that create? And how? How would that experience change over time as different people have influenced it right. in different ways? So right. beginning to think we should only do two of those and not three, but just have one right next to each other and see how they're changing. But Yeah, maybe. Maybe that maybe that's something that can help us understand like how we approach these metrics because I just don't know. I don't know either. All right. It's like it's the same thing. It's like what user experience is so broad. How do we how do we define what's good? And 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 this this installation that you bring up when you clear it that way, it's like we're not even making a decision. We're just kind of measuring stuff and seeing what happens. It's not even a we're not even making a decision about what's good or not. I don't even know if we really care that much what's good or not. We just want to see how it changes. Or at least I just want well, to see. Well, I mean, if you see how it changes, maybe that'll tell you start to inform what the metric might want to be. Yeah, but at the same time, that comes down to is more user engagement good? Maybe in this case, more user engagement is good. But it's like, is that really the, the, the metric that we want to use? I don't know what other metric we can use, though. 
at least in this case. Mm. Just like more people playing with our installation is good just because it publicizes us and makes us look good because more people are using it. So therefore it is good. <laughs> like we're going to go build a really addictive installation just like Facebook went and built a really addictive app. Well, platform. platform. So the problem, yeah, the problem Facebook ran into is that their platform was really good at getting people to be on their platform. And their mission stated is that they want to connect people on their platform. Yeah. That's, that's their mission. Not necessarily for those people to be connected all the time, every day. No, that's true. Yeah. Well, so, I... I mean, if we approach that from a similar perspective, if our mission is to help people engage each other or engage the... I mean, if, if the installation is literally designed so that people can just engage the architecture, then, then yes, that would be the metric. But if we have some other sort of goal, then no, it shouldn't be the metric. So you're saying we should come up with something, have a stated mission for this thing. We are building this thing so that people can study here and then see if people study there. I mean, it'd make our job of figuring out, you know, measuring it easier. Yeah, that's true. But like... And then, and then, and then like, if, if one is for studying and... I mean, we talked about this idea of program because they can't be programless, right? So if one's for studying and one is for something else, dancing... I feel like as soon as we give it program, though, it's just going to be... People are going to be like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> oh this one's for dancing oh what the heck i'm not gonna dance here i don't know i just kind of want to stick chairs in it and see what happens but that's probably i mean you're probably right there needs to be some programming to it well i mean if you give it if you give it a goal then you can you can measure it against that true but unless true. we do that we don't have a good metric to work with it's and like so all the metrics like i mean we, you would need like a baseline so maybe one is just programless and it sort of exists, and one is for some some sort of program. And if we could compare the way in which people use space, maybe you could compare how successful it is. I, I see what you're saying. I do. We can test them together. But I mean, part of the whole point was that people modify these things to their liking. I don't know, maybe that would be cool. Maybe that you say that they're both for studying, and, and, and they start to like kind of diverge over time, and light level and sound level or airflow level and and people sort of graduate gradually kind of move to the preferred one and then you get these filter bubbles and they move further and further apart it could be a study in partisanship mm. partisan partisan spaces maybe oh, i like that idea of starting with the same thing yeah it might actually be a good way to approach it maybe i mean it would make the goal easier and then we'd kind of have to just go after one experience, right? You hit a baseline yeah. experience and see how those go. Then you're yeah. really simplifying this down. Yeah. That's I mean, that's still kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting. I think it'd be kind of a fun experience or experiment. Yeah. yeah. But that's the problem with the experience, though, is like you kind of have to distill it down like this. Otherwise, how do you understand it? There's just so much to it. I don't know. I don't think I have a whole lot else I wanted to add. No, I think this was sort of just one of those rambling uh, rambling talks that we just kind of hopefully gain some perspective out of it at some point. Maybe it'll be useful to everyone else. I think in the end it was useful to us. Yeah, there's there's some some links that I wanted to include. include. There's some projects from the Media Lab 
which okay. by the Fluid Interfaces Lab, which helps develop um, more well fluid interfaces between humans and uh, digital environments. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting because the digital is something that is under constant maintenance and care and, and feedback. Mm-hmm. And that's something that the most architecture spaces are not. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things that we can take away uh, from digital environments and the idea of cybernetics and, and how architectural spaces can actually create quote-unquote better experiences uh, hmm. with this idea of a feedback loop. And I think that's probably one of the most important things from this discussion. Okay. For okay. me, at least. No, I think the feedback loop is probably the most interesting thing to come out of this. I agree. I agree. Because I had not thought of it from experience from a cybernetic standpoint. All right, so that's that's about it. That's what I've got to add. All right, cool. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll provide the resources in the show notes, as always, and... Please rate us on iTunes, whether you enjoyed us or not. We'd love to hear about it. So till next time. Thank you.